It's that time again. It's the Chief Zone. Farzine Vesugian here with you. Recapping, unfortunately, another loss from the Kansas City Chiefs. A tough one this past weekend. Uh, seven scores from the Chiefs, but all field goals. While the Bengals, they scored only four times. Pardon me, five times, I should say. All five being touchdowns, so... Hey, look, yeah, the Chiefs got more scores in this game, but the Bengals got more touchdowns, and it wasn't even close. I, it was it, you. You can never win with field goals. Yes, the Chiefs did it uh, when Ryan Suckup had the record for most field goals in a single game in franchise history against the Saints. The Chiefs had only one touchdown in the game. They also had a safety from Justin Houston in that game, Andrew Breeze, but that's. Really rare. Uh, that, that, that almost never happens. So in cases like this, when you get 21 points, uh, you know, your typical box score reader will think the Chiefs got three touchdowns. A couple may have come from Jamal Charles. Maybe Jeremy Macklin got into the end zone. No, they're, they're all Cairo Santos field goals. That's what this game was. And look, big ups to, to, to Santos. I've been very critical of him, especially when he started off uh, missing two of his first four field goals. Last year as a rookie, some people... Thought it was a mistake letting Ryan suck up go just for this guy for a cheaper price, but he he really rebounded after those uh, first two uh, the the two or four kicks that he started off with, and then from that point forward he really improved with his field goals, uh, much better range with his kickoffs, and just overall a much more polished kicker. And we're seeing that now. And I said this on uh, social media a little awkward. That uh, the the only scorer for Kansas City was the guy who learned the game through playing Madden. I mean that's just tough to take in, but you know what? It's uh, it's it's not good in Kansas City. Uh, it's it's one of those things where we want more productivity. And look, Kansas City's offense was good, but couldn't get it done. And I'll get more detailed into that because a lot of people are focusing on the negatives. Look, I I'm never going to sugarcoat anything, but I will say. What what happened out there? And a lot of people also are looking at the stats. Alex Smith, 386 yards. Jeremy Macklin, 148 catches. Or pardon me, 148 yards. Oh boy, 148 catches. That'd be something else. 148 yards, 11 catches, which still good. Uh, look, people are going to read those numbers and say good things. I love stats. I'm a stats guy. But I can also tell you when stats are misleading or when some of these stats come come together in garbage time. I mean, come on, let's we all know that. Farzim Vasugin here with you. Hallelujah, we finally have a normal Chiefs week. This is really Kansas City's first normal week when they go from a Sunday to a Sunday game. Uh, the team originally started with uh, a game on Sunday against the Texans, but then had to quickly... Go back to Kansas City, get ready for Denver on Thursday, and then an 11-day break, which turned out wasn't even useful, for, didn't even help Kansas City, and uh, played on Monday night after that, a short week, traveling on a Monday, then coming back and traveling again six days later, so uh, just a really tough four-game stretch for Kansas City when... Really, you thought maybe that 11-game break right there could have helped the Chiefs in some manner. But it really has been tough. And and look, maybe maybe that second quarter, that's when everything went downhill, at least up to this point, because 
when the Chiefs went up 14 nothing against the Broncos, at that point I'm thinking, this football team is for real. Jamal Charles has that really nice, cool-looking run. Marcus Peters with a sweet swipe right in front of the receiver and then races it back all the way to the end zone against Peyton Manning. And look, I get it's not impressive. It's Peyton Manning, at least this year, because he's not playing very well. But still, come on. It's your division opponent. It's Thursday night, your home opener. Everything's looking great in Kansas City. And then in that same quarter, that's when Denver got things working for them and Next thing you know, th- th- that's really where things went downhill for the Chiefs. And I'm starting to wonder if that week two second quarter game, was that the negative turning point for the Chiefs? Because I hate to look at week, I-, I hate to be at week 16 and look at week two and say, gosh, was that second quarter really the the moment? Was that when things really went wrong? The start of it at least? I don't know. It's uh, it's tough. It's not easy because this Chiefs team on paper, much more talented. When you look at what happened in this game, and we'll get more detailed, this is very uncharacteristic of the Chiefs, especially defensively. We'll get into that in just a moment. Farzim Vasugan here with you. Thank you for downloading the Chiefs Zone and making me part of your day. Uh, look, like I said, a lot to get into, but we have a full week, so we can split it up into two podcasts like we have normally done in the past. So we'll have a podcast, uh, you know, recapping the game from this past week, but also getting into other topics, and then we'll have another preview show on a separate episode. So we'll have a normal week finally, which is good to have. Uh, but back into the game with the Chiefs and Bengals, this defense not looking good at all. The Chiefs went, I think, 19 regular season games without allowing 30 or more points. 19 regular season contests. That's not an accident. That doesn't just happen. It's three straight games that the team has allowed 30 or more points. Now, yes, when I pointed this out on the Facebook page, a lot of you guys pointed out that the offense gave up six of those points and the defense didn't allow 30 points. Okay, sure. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs allowed 30 points, something they had not done for 19 straight games. So all of, all of a sudden, like I said, that second quarter, some sort of melting point took place right there. And maybe the start of it. Because Chiefs started losing football games. They're allowing 30-plus points in, in games now. And they're just not playing fundamental football. And Andy Reid, yes, the, I mean... The play calling has been up and down in the past. Now it's consistently bad. And there's so much to get into with what happened in this game and how the Chiefs just looked unprepared. I mean, they really did look bad in this game. As far as Andy Dalton and the Bengals go, look, there's a reason why they're 4-0. and There's a reason why their offensive line is great. And you, you, you can bag on... Kansas City's inexperienced offensive line all you want, but Denver has a very inexperienced offensive line. And the offensive line in Denver is not the reason for Peyton's poor gameplay right there. It's it, That's not an excuse for Denver's struggle. That's all on Manning. But even then, well, you know, I'll get into Denver later in, in a new segment that we're going to have at the end of the show. But Kansas City, the offensive line is... Not looking good. I I think my expectations for the Chiefs this year is what we're seeing from the Bengals. Andy Dalton's looking very good. They've got a really solid offensive line. 
And as a matter of fact, Andy Dalton has been sacked the least in the NFL. I believe only twice going into this game. And the Chiefs didn't even touch him in this game. I mean, sure, his jersey probably smells. But if uh, he if the team wanted to, the equipment managers, they'll probably keep that jersey for next week. Because it's all clean. Didn't hit the dirt. I mean, that's how good it was uh, of a day for Andy Dalton. They're running the ball pretty well. Uh, Receiving-wise... Three players with, or four players with 50 or more receiving yards. Three of them with 69 or more, and then two of them uh, with 80 or more. Look, this is a really good team. Uh, Tyler Eifert got going a little bit late in the game. Brandon Tate with that crazy catch. That's his only catch of the year where he dives, gets the football after Andy Dalton tries to fix a broken play. Trying to run from the pass rush. There was some pass rush in this game, but not so much. And then next thing you know, Andy Dalton finds Tate, falls on the ground. Marcus Peters, I I believe who was the defender there, doesn't even put a hand on him. All you have to do is touch him, and that's considered a tackle. The play is dead, but instead Tate, and props to him. That's a heads-up play right there. Gets back up and runs in. A lot of times, and you'll see this sometimes with college players, even high school guys, they get too excited that they made a diving play. No one touches them, so they fling the football and start celebrating and dancing over a big first down. And next thing you know, that's actually a fumble and the defense recovers. So nice heads up play by Tate to just go out there. And look, we've seen that a couple times in the NFL. It's it's, it's rare, but it's happened in the NFL too. Just a great heads up play by Tate, knowing that he was not down and just charges for the end zone. That's all. That, that, that's what you've got to do as a pass catcher. And then defensively, look, I don't know what's going on with Kansas City's defense, but the way Cincinnati's defense looks, this is what I was expecting from the Chiefs again. Five sacks for the Bengals. And hey, I mentioned last week, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins, those guys are are big members for Cincinnati's pass rush. And each of them got a sack as well as Johnson who got a sack and then Pico with a pair of sacks on Alex Smith. Alex Smith, the most sacked quarterback. It's funny because Dalton's the least sacked quarterback and Smith is the most sacked quarterback in the NFL. And it's it's tough to see here. And I mentioned earlier the offense looked good, which a lot of you guys probably lost your minds when you heard me say that. But the offense has played really well against two good defenses. Cincinnati and Denver. Kansas City really dominated Denver in week two, and I don't have those numbers in front of me, but not not that we need to look at the yards or anything. Kansas City got to the red zone a couple times, and then they turned it over there. The Chiefs moved the ball really well, hence why, look, look, seven scores doesn't happen on accident. Something good happened for the Chiefs to get to that point. Chiefs go out there, make some plays, and Alex Smith, 31 of 45, not bad, but Still, uh, the Chiefs moved the football pretty well. 386 yards. Again, I'm I'm not going to go crazy for that stat because I feel like some of that came late in the game. But for the most part, gosh, I I don't know what else you could have asked for from Alex Smith, especially with the offensive line not doing their job. And look, I know I said recently there were some changes made in the offseason with the wide receivers and the offensive line and that, that Alex Smith has to do better now, but that offensive line is not doing him any, any favors. How is Alex Smith supposed to do better when that line is not helping? 
there are times where I, I've seen Alex Smith. He's 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 got to make a play. A couple times we've noticed that, but nine times out of ten, Alex Smith can't make a play because of the offensive line, and that's really where the Chiefs are struggling the most. In terms of just the offense, look, they moved the ball very well against Denver. Just failed twice, and bad play calling is a part of that. Turned it over to Chris Harris and Aqib Tlaib, the former Jayhawks. And then against Cincinnati, hey, the Chiefs are moving very well here. Next thing you know, Cairo Santos has seven field goals because Kansas City put the team in position to be able to come away with those seven field goals. And look, sure, you want those threes to turn into sixes because if the Chiefs do that, we've got a shootout. And look, you're not going to be able to score a touchdown every single time on seven scoring attempts. Sure, the Bengals did it on five scoring attempts, but more times than not, you're going to have some field goals and touchdowns mixed together if you score seven times. For the Chiefs, all seven of them just happen to be field goals. The Chiefs have got to find a way to do better in the red zone. That's where... That's really been the difference for the Chiefs so far this year. If they play much better in the red zone and also look I I include play calling in that too from coaching to the players if you play, do better in the red zone you're going to beat the Denver Broncos in week two and it, it's not going to end in a Jamal Charles fumble scooped up by Bradley Roby for a touchdown it's going to end in a two possession game in Kansas City's favor you can win against Cincinnati if you come away with some touchdowns. I mean, the Chiefs were in this game. At one point, it was 14-12 to going into halftime. The Chiefs were down by two. And I'm thinking, look, the defense, the, the, the defense allowed two touchdowns on the first two drives for Cincinnati. The defense started to show a little, little bit of hope. And I'm thinking, look, if the, if the defense plays better and if the Chiefs score a touchdown or two, this might be a game Kansas City robs on the road at Paul Brown Stadium, but that's not the way it went down. Uh, you, the offense has to find a way to punch it in and finish drives because you can finish every single drive with a field goal and end up with 21, 24 points, whatever. But but if you're not getting touchdowns, you're not winning football games. Like I said, the Chiefs, uh, I can only think of two times where the Chiefs, were outscored in touchdowns and won. One was the New Orleans game, which I mentioned. Ryan Sucker previously had the record for most field goals in franchise history in a game. And then the game where Romeo Cornell took over for Todd Haley six days before playing the Packers, the undefeated Packers. The Packers got two touchdowns in that game. The Chiefs only had one. They had five field goals in that game from Suckup, if I'm not mistaken. So that's another instance in which the Chiefs really dominated by moving the football so much, just couldn't finish it in the red zone. So here we are. We see that again from the Chiefs the second time this year. Uh, that, that's that got to change. Kansas City turnovers also factor, not so much in this one. Uh, I know a lot of people unsure of that Travis Kelsey fumble. I thought he, it might carry, I mean, forget about me. I'm not the expert. Mike Carey's the real expert. He, he, he called it a down ball. He thought it was over. Kansas City was going to get the ball, ball and punt on fourth down, and the official saw otherwise. So uh, maybe something different comes out from the league this week and, and will give the Chiefs an apology notice, which 
really, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, sure, the Chiefs were in the game, but I'm not going to drown on that too much because I, I, I didn't think Kansas City was going to come back anyway. There were some things the offense did that has to change. I, Alex Smith, uh, I mentioned the offensive line, but Alex Smith on that intentional grounding penalty, that's definitely not, not good. You, you don't ever want to commit those kinds of penalties. I think the worst part about an intentional grounding, you lose yards, it's a loss of down. Uh, there's no way to recover from that. And it get, especially on the road, it gets the fans fired up and the defense fired up too. Just exuberance all over the stadium. And that can really derail momentum and confidence too for an offense on the road. Now, I do want to touch on Andy Reid for a moment because this has been heavily discussed. I mean, it's not a hot sports take, but by the way, I do have to comment. Everyone has been on Andy Reid's case for the clock management. Uh, For a split second, when the clock hit zero at halftime, or right before halftime, I should say, to end the first half, uh, for for a split second, I thought Andy Reid hit an all-time low with his clock management by letting it to go to zero, but he did... I mean, uh, you, you, the camera showed him talking to an official, so he did call timeout. Obviously, there was there was a technical glitch, so the Chiefs did get a field goal. But at the same time, I don't know why Reed lets nine seconds on the clock stay because, sure, maybe if you got a first down, you could have spiked it, but I don't think the Chiefs thought that they had a first down on that play right there. Uh, it looked like everyone knew it was a fourth down play, so, if that was the case, obviously you let it wind down to four, three seconds, and then it's a halftime. Because, look, even with just two or three seconds, you never know what can happen. An offense could just have a Hail Mary or just a crazy running play in which the ball carrier dodges every defender and goes to the end zone. You, you never know. You, you don't ever want to commit that risk. Now, one other thing, Andy Reid was asked about uh, the seventh field goal, which gave Cairo Santos the record for most uh, uh, field goals in franchise history in a game uh, because the Chiefs obviously needed a touchdown, not a field goal at that point, uh, just the way they were trailing. At that point, they were down 36-18. to And Andy Reid said something to the effect of how by getting a field goal, they could have got a touchdown, and then they would have been down by by eight or by ten. Could have gotten a field goal, then back by seven. I, I got lost when his explanation was there. I'm not going to pretend like I followed his his logic. Bottom line is, the Chiefs wanted to give that record to Cairo Santos. They're just not going to admit it publicly. Look, look, being in the media, I know. Of the Chiefs PR guys, everyone else in the media knows as well. Uh, and I noticed this in the game as well. I, I notice this every every time I watch a game on TV. But you you will notice there are PR guys, and usually they're in suits and ties. They look really nice. There are PR guys who are on the field, on the sideline. I should say on the sideline, not, not on the field, on the sidelines during games. They are there, and you know they've got information. They're communicating with the other PR staff members about statistics and what's going on, and they they, they put the word around on the sideline. Hey, look, you're you're two kicks away from tying. Suck up three more until you get the record. 
So it's discussed on the sidelines. It is. They're not going to admit it publicly. There are a lot of things they will not admit publicly. Andy Reid trying to explain something about how kicking a field goal will... I mean, he basically admitted that the team was still down by two multiple possessions and that a touchdown, you would still be down multiple possessions. So obviously the logic was horrible with the explanation. The Chiefs just wanted to give Santos the, the record. And look... There was only one time where, sure, records like most touchdowns or uh, most passing yards, those kinds of significant records, everyone wants them. Every team, look, let's not be let's not be dishonest with ourselves. Every every coach and the team will try to formulate a plan so that way they can try to get that record. Tony Gonzalez in two thousand eight, I mean, he was vividly upset. When the Chiefs beat the Broncos to snap the 12-game losing streak because he could have gotten the record at home for most passing yards in a career by a tight end. Instead, the Chiefs got really conservative. They decided to run with Larry Johnson in that game because it was working all game long. And the Chiefs, that basically helped them get up more. They don't want to risk a, a possible turnover. Tony Gonzalez, after the game, refused to do an interview. And at that point... Uh, you, you could tell he was upset because he did not get the record. I want to go back to Larry Johnson. When he got the record for most carries in a single season by a running back, which, by the way, who the hell wants that record? Larry Johnson apparently did. <laughs> I don't have the audio of it. I don't know if it's on YouTube or in an audio vault anywhere. Uh, I'm sure sports radio stations and TV stations in town might have it on their archives. But Larry Johnson publicly said, and I think it was after the game too against the Jaguars in week 17 of 2006 when it happened, Larry Johnson publicly said, I wanted to get the carry because of the record so I could have the record. Like, it's the most meaningless record in the world. The only way people are going to remember Larry Johnson had that record is one, if if you're a Chiefs fan. Two, if another running back, which in this NFL today, with multiple running backs trying to handle the duties, is hard to do. But if another running back out there is chasing Johnson and is getting so many carries, that will be brought up by the media. So that's the only time people are going to remember who had the record. And Larry Johnson wanted the record because it was the record. I mean, that's what he said in the press conference. So my point is, the Chiefs wanted to give Cairo Santos that record. That's all it is. All right, that's it for the game. I mean, there's nothing else to say about it. A lot to work on, and we'll get more into that in the next episode of the Chiefs Zone. But we're going to keep going here on this episode because I want to get to you fans. I went on the Facebook and Twitter pages, which you guys can go like my Facebook page, Farzine Vesugian, and then also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. I asked you guys to share your concern or, or ask me a question, and I'll read it here on this podcast. That's next. Hey, big ups to the boys in blue across the street at the Truman Sports Complex. The Kansas City Royals, AL Central champions. Home field advantage in the entire postseason. 
number one seed in the American League. And of course, with the All-Star win, the Royals will have home field throughout the entire postseason. It's great to see baseball back in Kansas City. If a few years ago, just a couple of years ago, you told me that the Royals would win a postseason game before the Chiefs, if they would have gone to the World Series before the Chiefs have got, would have gotten to the Super Bowl, I would have said no way. But props to the Royals. I mean, they really have turned it around the past couple of years. And look, the Chiefs have had more success. And I, and I say success loosely because it hasn't been. It's not like there was a big gap of success. The Chiefs have, from time to time, made it to the postseason. Whereas the Royals haven't. But last year's American League Championship season and the appearance in the World Series all the way to Game 7, 90 feet away from tying it, that overshadows anything the Chiefs have done in terms of accomplishing a couple of AFC West titles and making appearances in the postseason and not winning them. I mean, they have won a couple playoff games here and there since the last time the Royals went to the playoffs in 85. But you know what? The Royals postseason run last year and this year too overshadows anything the Chiefs have done the past 15 years, I'd say. And the Royals are are kind of interesting. A lot of people have been critical of the Royals. And then because this is a football town... People freak out over a three- or four-game losing streak like it's the end of the world. A three-game losing streak in Kansas City, as we are experiencing right now for football, yeah, it feels like the end of the world. It feels like the season's over. In baseball, three or four games is a small percentage of the season. So I think baseball, we're still kind of learning the ups and downs of what it what it's like to be a good baseball team here in Kansas City. Yeah, it, it 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 still feels weird, unfortunately. But I think fans are starting to get it. They know that even the best, to, even the Cardinals from St. Louis, not the Arizona Cardinals, even the Cardinals this year went through a couple droughts throughout the baseball season. So good for the Royals, and of course they'll be playing this weekend either the Yankees or the Astros. And gosh, I hope Kansas City can do it again and this time come away with that World Series. Look, the only way you improve from last year is by winning the World Series. 90 feet away from tying, and Madison Bumgarner is not there to stop the Royals from letting that happen. So, oh, by the way, the Royals have not lost in the postseason. They have not lost a postseason game against an American League team since 1985. It's been 30 years since that happened. That's how I like to put it. Optimism. There's an opti- there, there's sugarcoating, as I said earlier in the show. Appreciate you guys listening to the Chief Zone. As I promised, uh, this segment would be dedicated to you guys, the listeners. And I posted on the Facebook page and the Twitter page and asked you guys, uh, what what is it uh, that, that you guys are concerned about? Or what questions do you guys have? And I'll get to some of them as we uh, go to the Facebook page first. You guys can like my page, Farzine Vesugian and Miranda said, how about everybody but Santos? You know what's funny? Uh, She asks that. uh, One of the biggest storylines from week four is the trouble we've seen from NFL kickers. And it all started on Thursday Night Football with the Steelers falling 
to the Ravens like that. I mean, that was brutal. And Todd Haley? Gosh, I think you could compare his play calling to Andy Reid's at this point. And Todd Haley, look, a lot of people are saying he's a good offensive coordinator, but gosh, as a play caller, no way. You have Le'Veon Bell, and you, you do that? Gosh. And now you know why Thomas Jones got more carries than Jamal Charles in 2010. I mean, that was, I'm sure Haley had a huge hand in that. Santos, yeah, uh, look, uh... Obviously not the most ideal way to score 21 points, but you know what? Uh, I guess there are a lot of teams right now that would rather have Santos because some teams just have some uh, some huge woes at the kicker position. So at least the Chiefs have that. Uh, Sean says if the Chiefs were to invest a lot on the O-line next year, obviously we're thinking ahead unfortunately, can Smith actually raise his level of play? Uh. Gosh, it's it's hard to say, and uh, Sean goes on and, and makes a good point. Personally, I think everyone has to go perfect around him in order to succeed, and even then, I don't think he could be the reason the team wins the playoffs. I would be screaming for a change, but I don't think that is the answer on the roster. You know, I, 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 I agree to an extent. You know, just look a couple of years ago in the postseason against Indianapolis, Alex Smith, what did he do to not put the team in position to win? I feel like Alex Smith did everything right in that football game, and probably the best passing performance uh, in a in a playoff game by a quarterback to not walk away with a win. Easily, that that award goes to Alex Smith. There's another record that no one will remember you for. By the way, I mean goes up, up with Larry Johnson's record. But I don't know. It, it, it's hard. I mean, sure. What if you bring in a what if you bring in Peyton Manning all of a sudden? I mean, sure. Uh, Chris Conley, Jason Avant, Albert Wilson, all of a sudden they look like pro bowlers. They're going to look like pro bowlers at least. I don't know how much uh, of a change a quarterback would be if you have an Andrew Luck or Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. And obviously I'm talking a little bit of an old school Peyton Manning. And again, I promise I'll get to Peyton in a second because a lot of you guys are, are man getting on this case. But the thing with Alex Smith is, he's not your deep, deep pass guy. I mean, I'm not breaking any news by saying that. But at the same time, I think the offensive line does need to improve. You also have to consider, the Chiefs have, arguably on paper, the best running back tight end wide receiver trio in Jamal Charles, Travis Kelsey, and Jeremy Macklin. I mean, if you had to tell me right now, if you had to list all the trios, the running back, tight end, and wideout trios, a lot of teams would take Kansas City's trio. So Alex Smith does have the talent around him. He's got to get better blocking, though. I mean, he has to. Trevor asked, why does no one talk how, about how poorly this defense is played? It's starting to get discussed a little bit. I, I just touched on it. The pass rush isn't there. Justin Houston didn't really show up in this game. And Tom Bahali's been off to kind of a slow start this year. So it hasn't been a really good season for the pass rush. And again, I, I'm shocked by this. Uh, three games in a row, the Chiefs have allowed 30 or more points. And uh, it was the complete opposite for 19 straight games. Uh, this defense really has shocked me uh and it, it obviously not in a good way so i'm not quite sure uh where the chiefs uh go from there obviously dantari poe is coming from back surgery and when you're 
that big of a guy and, and trying to fight back, it's, it's not going to be easy for you. Uh, so the pass rush has, has been obviously a big, big concern for the Chiefs. Marcus Peters has taken a little bit of a step back. Uh, so is Mitch Morse, the other rookie who's shined for the Chiefs so far. Uh, Eric Berry has been pretty, he's been good for the most part. He hasn't been great. Uh, he's been kind of, everyone's been really up and down. So, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's been tough, uh, to see this defense perform the way that they have, uh, this defense, it, it's much better, uh, than this. No question about it. And we'll see if the if the defense can, can really change in the, in the next couple of games. Trevor also asks, uh, the more important question, why do we have the 15th ranked rushing offense? Look, Andy Reid's a pass heavy guy and, I understand the West Coast offense is very pass-oriented, but if you've got Jamal Charles, one of the best running backs in the NFL, run the damn football. I mean, come on, it's 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 common sense right there. Go run the football, punch it in. Don't get cute with trick plays because, as we saw in that, especially in that Denver game, and in. Also against the Anthony with the Anthony Thomas too against the Bengals, that play went nowhere. I get you don't want to overload Jamal Charles, but if you want to give the ball to DeAnthony Thomas, just line him up as a tailback because those trick plays are not working at all for Kansas City. Not working at all. And Kyler actually ended up asking uh, a little bit about uh, DeAnthony Thomas, but one of the questions he asked, and he asked, gosh, he put a Shakespeare monologue uh, on this Facebook post. I-, I can't read the whole thing, but one one. Thing he asked, I caught my eye. Where is Niall Davis? Sharkandrick West really got involved in this game, and I didn't touch on that in the uh, last segment. But Jamal Charles did get nicked up a little bit, so he was on the sidelines getting checked out by the doctors. But then when uh, Charles was out, Sharkandrick West he came in there, got five carries, seventeen yards. He's a tough guy. I mean, this guy can can run. I mean, he's 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 a tough physical guy. Obviously, far from a polished elite running back. But if this is something that the Chiefs do, I mean, if they put West before Niall Davis, kind of makes you wonder. Niall Davis was a draft pick a couple of years ago who was a serviceable running. He's been a serviceable running back, especially when Charles has been out. There was actually a point in time where both Davis and Charles, they ran all over the Patriots a year ago on Monday Night Football. And since then, Davis, Davis, by the way, has had the same exact yard per carry average his rookie season and in his second season. I'll I'll pull up the number because it is a significant uh, and noteworthy number that we need to keep in mind, especially for a guy like Davis, who, like I said, he's he's done a couple of good things on offense, but they've been flashes not consistency. I mean, flashes are great, but if if you're not consistent, you know, the flashes are just going to be one here and one there. One good play, one one there. Looking at uh, 2013 and 2014, he had a 3.5 yard per carry average. His uh, total touches doubled or on the ground. Double, actually overall. On offense, double. He wasn't even returning kicks either. That was the Anthony Thomas who had that uh, nice, I think it was a 70-yard return, and then it got pulled, called back because of a penalty on a rookie there, uh, which it, it, it's it's not something you, you want to allow. I mean, we talked about the intentional grounding penalty, but even then right there for the Chiefs, it's those are plays that you can't afford. 
because that that was a waste of of a possession right there, a, a good field possession too. So that's something that the Chiefs definitely need need to find a way to adjust and 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 just not allow those penalties because that will be a huge factor in your games. Looking at the Twitter page, uh, Brian asks uh, probably the best question that I've seen so far today. What are the long-term plans for D Ford, a, a guy who uh, basically got stuttered stepped on by Andy Dalton in this game? We saw something similar similar last year against the 49ers where he is running away from the play rather to it, uh, and that was just a disaster. Which, you know what, I'll throw in Eric Fisher in this mix. Obviously, Eric Fisher's a bust at this point. I, I, I don't think we need to look at anything else and have a debate as to whether or not he's good or a bust. But D4, too. And here's the thing, and I'm not a general manager. I'm a lousy podcast host, all right? But I hate it when general managers, when teams draft a player in the first round and he's a developmental guy. I thought D4 was going to get much more snaps last year for the Chiefs, which wasn't the case. And I thought he was going to go in there and be a little bit more effective to help uh, kind of complement Tom Bahali and just add another viable pass rusher. But that's been the complete opposite. We've barely seen D Ford. And anytime we've seen D Ford for the Chiefs, we're not seeing anything eye-grabbing. It's, if anything, it makes us wonder if two years in a row, Dorsey made a bad pick. So I'm not too sold. And, and Tom Bahali, he's he's struggled a bit this year, and D Ford still can't get on the field ahead of Tom Bahali. So it makes you wonder where the Chiefs stand with D Ford. By the way, he had 122 snaps last year. Justin Houston had more than a thousand, and Tom Bahali had exactly 999, according to Pro Football Focus. So D Ford, obviously not in there as much. Uh, Able to get a little bit of pass rushes there when he had the opportunity. Had, I believe, a one and a half sacks last year. So in the few opportunities that D Ford had at a, as a defensive player, he went in there and made some plays. But I, I, again, uh, you can't judge a guy on such a small window. I don't know where the Chiefs stand with D Ford. Obviously, Eric Fisher, I think he's toast. He's done after this season. He's going to be a backup somewhere else in the NFL. He could be a backup in Kansas City if he takes a pay cut. But even then, I don't even know if the Chiefs are that interested in keeping him as a backup. D Ford, uh, again, uh, I, I'm not I'm not too high on him. I remember at the time the draft pick was made, I, I, I was really confused. I thought the Chiefs were going after a wide receiver. Or, or someone else, a different defensive position, possibly cornerback. But D Ford, gosh. Again, I hate it when players are drafted in the first round and they're not starters. You don't draft somebody in the first round to not start. Because first round draft picks are making, a, I mean, even the ones drafted late, they're making a couple million bucks. You don't sign a guy. To have him earn a couple million dollars and keep him on the sidelines. Then again, Dorsey did sign Chase Daniel to that big fat contract that a lot of that no other backup has. 
Unless they were demoted, I guess. Brian's other question was, uh, if we were to draft tomorrow, what's our need position? Uh, though we don't draft for need, I get that. Yeah, it, it, look, it, it, you, you get that cliche answer, uh, and I, I, I don't know why the media asks this question. Uh, it's asked everywhere, and every single coach says it's a mixture of need and the best available. Okay, great. That's that's not that that's nothing uh, breaking uh, that, that that I haven't heard before. As far as what the Chiefs should do, I know a lot of people are going to say quarterback. Uh, I, I I I definitely go with the offensive line. Uh, if the offense, if there are no off- good offensive line available by the time the Chiefs are drafting, wherever that's going to be in 2016. Certainly, you, you've got to consider a number two wide receiver, and especially if you're going to run a West Coast offense uh, under Andy Reid's system. Defensively, I don't know if Sean Smith's going to be back. Eric Berry's also on a contract year. So I think a secondary, uh, you, you might need to consider one of those. And then defensively, I, another position, defensive end. I know fans like Jay Howard and Alan Bailey, they've stepped up a bit this year. But, hey, look, if Sean Oakman's available and... Jay Howard's not going to be back. I think that's someone who you take because Sean Oakman, and I know he got lit up this past week, but Oakman's a really good defensive guy. I mean, this guy is vicious. Offensive tackles can't block this guy. He's really getting in there, slipping through, and either destroying the quarterback or the running back in the backfield. So this is a guy who I think the Chiefs need for better run support and better pass rush too. So right now, obviously multiple positions, but... We'll narrow it down when we get closer to that time. And look, these are never too early to look at. People who say it's too early to to discuss the draft, this is John Dorsey's job. There are scouts on the team who do this. There are a lot of scouts. We just had Matt Miller last week. He is putting mock drafts every single week. And fans, guess what? Fans read them. It's never too early to think about the draft. Let's try to get one more question in here. Brendan asks, with the lack of in-game adjustment on our defense, how is it that other teams are able to find a weakness and the the defense cannot recover? Gosh, I I, I put that on on the on the pass rush. I really do. I think I think the pass rush has really disappeared, especially the past couple of games. They they did really well the first couple of games, but then after that Denver loss. Aaron Rodgers, yeah, he got hit a little bit here and there. Not too much, though. And then against Andy Dalton, well, I said earlier, Andy Dalton had a clean jersey uh, the entire time. So it's not like the it's not like the Chiefs did anything to challenge Andy Dalton in that game uh, in terms of applying pressure on him. There it is, your questions. I really appreciate all the fan activity here, and, and hopefully you guys uh, enjoyed this segment as much as I did. I uh, definitely want to do this again, get you guys involved, because this podcast is about you guys as well. So, I mean, you guys make the podcast. Uh, I hit, hit here, record it, put the music, and uh, produce it, upload it, but you guys are the reason that this podcast runs. So, definitely appreciate you guys getting involved and asking questions. We'll definitely do this segment again. For now, it's time for a new segment to wrap up the show. It's called Around the NFL. All right, let's go to the AFC West. Let's let's stay there since the Chiefs are from the AFC West. And let's go to Denver because I've teased this segment a couple of times with Denver in it. 
let's just give credit where credit is due to the Broncos. Sure, they are winning lucky, as someone put it on the Facebook page. By the way, the Chiefs have scored the most points out of any team in the AFC West. Barely, though. Barely beating the Chargers, Raiders, and Broncos. But you know what? The Broncos are the ones winning football games. I don't care if Peyton Manning's played really bad this year. At the end of the day, the defense, and by the way, three of their four games have really come down to the wire. The defense for Denver has came away with an interception to end week one against the Ravens. They got that amazing, lucky strip fumble from Jamal Charles and ran it back to the end zone. And then against the Vikings, Teddy Bridgewater trying to make a play to get his team to tie or get, go ahead with just a few seconds left. They get that fumble recovery. Denver is finding way to win. So what if they're getting lucky? I'd rather be lucky at 4-0 than look bad at 1-3. So give props to Denver. You know who else we should be giving props to? Let's just do it. I know you don't want to hear it, but the Oakland Raiders. A lot of you are criticizing the Raiders, saying that they have just been playing easy teams. They lost to Cincinnati in Week 1. But they rebounded, beat Baltimore in Week 2, and Cleveland in Week 3, barely lost to Chicago in Week 4. You know what? When the Chiefs went 9-0 a couple years ago, Chiefs fans were offended when the national media brought up the schedule and how easy it was for the Chiefs. And I kept making the point for the Chiefs that this is a team that is proving people wrong. Even though it is an easy schedule, we knew it was going to be an easy schedule. The Chiefs still were not expected to go 9-0. So even then, the Chiefs are proving something by going 9-0. So why don't we just give credit to the Raiders? Because even though they've got an easy schedule to start off the first four games. By the way, they're playing Denver next week. That'll be interesting. Even though they've had an easy schedule to start off the season, we all thought they were going to be 0-4. And I said in the offseason, I said, watch out for this Raiders team. They're going to improve this year. This is the year the Raiders turn things around. I don't know if they get to the playoffs, but I think next year they could be serious AFC West contenders. A lot of you guys laughed at me for that. Look, I'd love to see the Raiders do horrible, but I also like to be realistic. By the way, the NFL, they want to expand the international series to Mexico City. Oh, also, they just had the game in London. Look, if you lose in London and come back, uh, it's not too good. We saw what happened last year. A couple coaches got fired after losing a game in London. This year, already that trend's continuing with Joe Philbin out, uh, out in Miami. Can we keep the game in America? I don't want my favorite sport to be played at other cities. Fans at Arrowhead have every right to be ticked off that they lost the home game. There's only There are only six home games left. So the Chiefs need to take advantage of this home field. They absolutely have to. Because it's not often you get this kind of home field. Great home field advantage. Chiefs lost that. And guess what? Here's the thing. Three teams played in London last year. Three this year. Three next year. And then you are prom- probably promised a Super Bowl. Look, there are so many promises being given around. Not everyone's going to get the Super Bowl. Last one. Kelly Stafford stands up for Matthew Stafford and the Lions. By the way, uh, do yourself a favor and Google Kelly Stafford. Do that. You did it? Yeah. That's what I thought too. Uh, speaking of Kelly Stafford, 
uh, the reason she, I, I'm bringing her up, uh, she recently has been in the news for defending his, her husband, Matthew Stafford, because apparently somebody burned his jersey. And I, look, it could have happened and maybe it wasn't caught on film. I saw a Chiefs fan after a game once throw his Chiefs jersey in the in the trash after a Chiefs loss at Arrowhead. So maybe it happened, it just wasn't on, not everything makes the internet. Uh, but Kelly Stafford, it's not her first go-around trying to speak publicly and defend the fans, or to defend the team. Remember a couple years ago, she got into it, she said, you wouldn't even know, on Twitter, you wouldn't even know we were playing at home the way these fans are booing our home team, hashtag unbelievable. A Lions fan responded, said, you wouldn't know Stafford played for the Lions the way he keeps throwing to the other team. Ouch. Look, I get it. You love your husband. That's nice. You're coming to his defense. But look, I love the First Amendment. If your team is struggling, fans have every right to publicly bash the team. Fans spend a lot of hard-earned money on tickets, parking, everything. Hot dogs, beer. They deserve something better. I love it when fans speak their mind. We did it a couple years ago in 2012 with Save Our Chiefs and the Banners. Sorry, Kelly Stafford, but fans have every right to criticize. That'll do it for the Chief Zone. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Farzim Vasugin here with you. We'll talk to you again later this week as the Chiefs get ready for the Chicago Bears. And I'll give you guys a reason, a couple reasons at least, as to why you should feel optimistic that the Chiefs can start turning things things around a little bit. All of that on the next episode of the Chief Zone. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you then.